thumping me. Sorry. One more time. Just, I can't believe you did no. it one more time. Well, if you're telling me to do it one more time, you know I'm going to do it I'm one more Sophie. time. Sophie. When there's activity, she's going to be here. Hi, girl. Oh, my goodness. Hi, well, girl. happy National Hunting and Fishing Day, Taylor. Happy National Hunting and Today Fishing is, Day, Today is the day we celebrate hunting and fishing, September 25th. Uh, every Sophie, stop. <laughs> and she's licking my elbow. <laughs> Did, did, did you see the picture from Saturday? Of wait, which one? Uh, when Mr. Kevin and I went dove hunting, <laughs> bear, bear was licking my ear. Yes. <laughs> it with dogs and tongues and me. Except bear has a really short tongue, so bear, he does not. Okay, with all due respect <laughs> to my my good friend Kevin, who we've been friends. Now this this is this is a picture. Now Kevin's from Manistique, Michigan. And I'm from Chester, South Carolina, and we met our junior year in high school, and we've been friends ever since. Probably one of my longest, yeah, probably one of my oldest friends, mm-hmm. and um, besides Mr. Morris. <clears throat> um, the thing about that is Kevin's always lived here. Yeah, I better say not in Germany. Morris has been in Iraq, Afghanistan, Djibouti, Germany, Wiesbaden, all over the place. Now he's back in Washington, D.C., <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we went over. It's hard to cover a dove field with just two people, folks. Let me tell you what. Mm-hmm. We, we had fun sky busting some doves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, Bear <laughs> is nine, nine months old, and he's 90-something pounds. Good gosh. He's British. He's got real short legs. <laughs> <laughs> Looked like somebody clipped him. <laughs> but he's, he's friendly enough, but he got dipped on the tongue, didn't he, Sophie? Yeah, I, did. I mean, his tongue, <laughs> it, it, when he was at his hottest, his tongue came to the end of his mouth. Taylor's, I mean, Sophie, <laughs> sorry about that. Sophie's tongue had like, you had him about like four or five inches. Girl. Yeah, you did have uh, You had him like four or five inches. See, she knows. Yes, yeah, she does. She knows. But she made a friend. Yes, okay, now you, can, okay. now you can yep. hush. Yep, so she and Bear had a good time. Retrieving stuff out of the pond. Sophie made a, a water retrieve on a dove. Good job, yeah. girl. Yeah. You went straight out came straight back. Yes, ma'am, you did. Without choking on the feathers, huh? Yeah, no. She, I was I was wondering because, uh, you know, dove, she hates dove feathers. I know. Uh, She'll retrieve a goose, but she yeah, won't retrieve a dove. Yeah, she doesn't like a dove. And just, she just loses too many feathers in her mouth, so she can't stand that. Um <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, You've heard of a picky bird dog? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had several of them. What? How did we get off on that to National yep, Hunting and Fishing Day? That's a great day? question. Anyway, this National <laughs> Hunting and Fishing Day. I hope you're out and about. Um, if you don't have anything to do and you still have some time, uh, at two thirty. So about an uh, well, just half an hour forty. We started a. Uh, the South Carolina Boating and Fishing Lights is down at williams Bryce Stadium in Gamecock Village for boat, fish, and football. Boo! Wait a minute now. Boat, yeah. Okay, boat, yeah. Fish. That, you know, that, that. And football. But and essentially what it is Carolina. is, is you can have, have a boat show with a bunch of South Carolina boat manufacturers at the football game today. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Carolina's going to lose again. Well, I don't know that. You don't know that either. It's Kentucky. They're going to lose. 
Who knows? But anyway, so yeah, so we we actually have a decree in South Carolina that mirrors the um, the National Hunting and Fishing Day. So we have a National Hunting and Fishing Day. We have the South Carolina Hunting and Fishing Day, and we're celebrating that down at at Williams Rice with South Carolina Boating and Fishing Alliance. Uh, on the show today, we're going to be joined by a good friend of mine, uh, Milton Pittman, with New Southland Works. Going to talk a little bit about forestry mulching. We had some had some of that done, and I was really impressed. And gonna and and gonna plan to have some more. I get to go on Google Maps and draw some more lines. Oh and, gosh, more lines, <laughs> and more lines, more flagging. Maps. Yes, more flagging and more lines. Um, and then we're gonna talk to Michael Hook. Some big news out of uh, on the Bob White Quail uh, side of things. With the National Bob White Conservation Initiative. Um, Which is slowly coming back. Yeah, bring state. back the whistle. Ooh. Oh, I had a call Covey Saturday. It was beautiful. Yeah, no, it was Tony. beautiful. You I called know. me. And then what did you, you say? You know what you, what'd you say? So at what point can we hunt these? Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, because I hear about how much fun it is. And I like, know. I, with, bird, with actual bird dogs, sorry, Sophie. I love yeah. you, but you are not an actual bird dog. Well, now, now, Allie, the first Labrador we had. Yeah, she was a good bird dog. I had, I was training English setters at the time, mm-hmm. and Allie learned how to back and point. Wait, Just, she knew how to point? Yeah. She love. Dang. She was smart, and she had <laughs> little puppies to impress and grown dogs to impress. So I, I tell a story. I tell a story that we were having a field trial, and uh, I had Allie in the house, and somehow she escaped. I have no clue how she got out. I got, a, <laughs> I got people yelling at me on the field going, Roger, come get your dog off the field. And we have a, a, and we have a brace of dogs on the course. One dog is pointed, another dog is backing, and Allie, who is white like a Belky bear, is backing the second dog. It was oh beautiful. That's Absolutely so beautiful. Funny. But anyway. Sorry, All right. Sophie. Yeah, not Sophie. <laughs> so let's quickly, uh, we'll get a full show. Let's quickly get to the calendar events and finish up this segment. Um, let's get an update from, uh, oh, brought to you by Visit Anderson and... Oh, Green Pond Landing and Event yeah. Center. Sorry. Um, quick update it. from um, Skytop Orchard, a limited U-Pick. If you go to their website, uh, the frost, uh, I guess the early, late frost got them a little bit. Yeah. So they got Golden, Granny Smith, Fuji, and whatever else you can find. <laughs> they do have Asian Pear, Gala, Max, Golden Delicious, Cortland, Red Delicious, Mutsu, Jonah Gold, Jonathan's, Candy Crisp, Grapes, and Granny Smith's. Already in the fruit stand. I don't even care about the apples. I just want the donuts. Donuts. Go ahead, Taylor. What you got? Um, Beaufort Shrimp Festival is going to be October 1st and 2nd, and it doesn't have anything, any more information. It just says it's happening in Beaufort. Oh, did I not On the 1st and 2nd. Nope. Well, it's a cool thing, though. It's it's shrimp festival and lots of good food shrimp. to eat. And, yeah, because, you know, you know the, the white shrimp. Commercial season is open now, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's uh, they're bringing in some big ones. And in fact, Livingston said as soon as the rain's gone, they would be back out there shrimping and would have shrimp this week. And those are the big ones. Those are like the 12 to 15, 15 to 18. Oh. Those are the good ones. Uh, October 1st through 3rd, uh, staying down on, we got the Coastal Expedition Santee to the Sea. It's a three-day, two-night camping and kayaking expedition. That could be very fun. Happening October 1st through the 3rd. They're going to go Eshaw Creek to McConnell Landing and the Francis Marion. 
Day two, they're going to go Santee River to Wombaugh Creek with a stop at Hampton Plantation. And day three, they're going to kayak through Cape Romaine National Wildlife Refuge to Bulls Island to hike the beach in the Maritime Forest. Oh, my goodness, it would be fun to do this. So go to Coastal Expeditions for more information. Uh, first annual bass tournament in memory of, I think I'm going to butcher this name, Shelia Grindle, uh, sponsored by Bait Shack. It's Saturday, October 2nd, safe flight to 12 p.m., um, takeoff from Fair Play Recreation Boat Ramp, weigh-in at 1245 $50 per boat, entry fee, five fish limit, optional $10, big bass entry fee, 100% payout, first place 80%, second place 20%. Meet at 5 a.m. that morning. Uh, if you want are interested in becoming a Scholastic Clay target, uh, target, <laughs> not a target, but a, a instructor <laughs> or a coach or whatever, DNR is having a training session October the 1st through the 2nd. And uh, at the Watery Range there in Eastover, South Carolina, Friday from 3 to 4, I mean 3 to 7, and Saturday from 8 to 6, uh, get in touch with them and uh, and get involved. That's Scott Stevens' roundhouse. Very quickly, you got 10 seconds. The 100-man derby presented by Garrett Lear Company, October 2nd at Lake Hartwell at Green Pond Landing. $150 entry fee, pre-registration required at their website. Um, $5,000 winners, and then top 10 pay, top 10 pay out. All right. Y'all hang on. We're going to talk to Milton about mowing down some oh sweet gums. Nothing better than seeing a sweet gum getting <laughs> trashed. All right, Sophie? Huh? All right, girl? Oh, now you're going to be silent. All right. Y'all hang on. Ah, uh, little Van Halen. That's who that was. That's who that was, yeah. See, I'm... It's just a long intro. Then you get into the real... There we go. There we go. Ah, uh, uh, little Van Halen. Um, Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. Taylor, we're, we, we've got a first-time guest on the line, I think. Yeah. Even though... In his former life and career, he was a sponsor of this show mm-hmm. from like the get-go. Uh, he is uh, a very good friend of mine, Milton Pittman. Used to be my auto mechanic. Sniff, sniff. Uh, <laughs> who has who has decided to go play in the dirt a little bit or play in the woods? Would that be an apt description of what you do? Sure. <laughs> Thank sure. Roger and Taylor for having me on the show. By the way. Oh man, yeah. Uh, no, we we have had some good times together over the years, and and built a really good friendship. And can, man, can I, I just say something though? Yes. Milton, I'm still waiting on you to take me shooting stop signs. I've been waiting oh, on that since Christmas of don't. twenty twenty fourteen. Oh, no. That's illegal, uh, Taylor. Uh, oh, uh, minor we'll detail. I'll talk about it afterwards. All right. All right. Yeah. That sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> I'll still be here. Oh, me. Uh, no, he, uh, he has, he, he's gone out and, and, but it's not really something you haven't ever done before because Milton, you, you grew up logging. I, I grew up in the woods. I came yeah. from a logging family and yeah, the woods are, are something that's by far not unfamiliar to me. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of um, have returned to the roots, I guess, of how I was raised and um, been, been uh, you know, dabbling with forestry mulching and uh, and clean up. And within the last couple of years, decided to go full time with it. And uh, it's it's definitely paying off. You know, it's um, it's it's growing. Yeah. Rapid. So um, 
news? Yeah, and it's, it's an industry. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting really popular. Yeah. It's a really popular way to clean property up. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people are uh, are learning and are getting educated about uh, forestry mulching as opposed to clearing land in, in a conventional manner. Sure. The bulldozers and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a business. It's getting real popular. And your business is New South Landworks. Got a New website. New South Landworks. Yep. New South Landworks with an with X. X. That's right. Yep. W-O-R-X dot com. You're also yeah. on Facebook. So, Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Google. Google. Uh, find us on Google. Um, okay. Facebook, New South Landworks, and uh, New South Landworks dot com on Google. So. Yeah. And I've got to go leave you a, a Google review because I had to come over and and, and – just kind of show me what all you could do. Had some had some things I wanted opened up a little bit. Taylor is a- absolutely thrilled because I can see out of my her, stand now. Her stand, her, the the view out of her stand went from about thirty yards to about a hundred yards. <laughs> oh, that was a great day, and now I know where your stand is. Taylor, so. <laughs> oh, great, great! <laughs> and she's not going to be in it much, Milton. So you're welcome to go uh, sit in it most any time. Excuse me, excuse <laughs> me. I'll get the state record you've been watching. Uh, oh, uh, right. I hate to break it to you. I don't think there's any state records on that stand. <laughs> but uh, no, we we you know it's it's interested me since since uh, oh well sometime last fall when you started this and and I wanted some things done and so we finally got you a day where you could come over and and we we mowed down some trees and yeah. and it really looks good. I I was. Thoroughly pleased with it. Um, you know, I want to have you back. Great, anytime. And, and I think that's I think that's once people figure out what this is all about. I think that's what they're going to do is you're going to be going back to some of these places and doing more, keeping what you've already done cleaned up and all. And to do all that, you got to have equipment. I know Taylor's got some questions about your equipment. So yeah, what what do you use? How do you go about doing all of it? Well, we, you know, the first thing is to go and assess the project. Um, so um, if it's something that meets our forte, like forestry mulching, which most about any property will. Sure. Um, you know, I have a uh, I have a skid steer mulcher with a 74-inch mulch head on it. And, uh, and, you know, we just run through there like a bull in a china shop <laughs> and uh, just taking everything out of the way and, but yeah, that's that's good for grinding. You know, we'll grind up to eight, ten inch trees okay. and um, make chips out of it. <clears throat> we also have a um, we have an excavator with a mulcher on it, and that's for the more detail work. It's for um, uh, driveways. If you have those low low hanging branches over the driveway, that's for that's for getting up um, into the elevation of the trees. Okay. Uh, getting branches. Um, retention ponds is is a big deal. Um, we do re- retention ponds as well, so we can reach over and, and get the pond and um, creek banks, um, roadside, anywhere that's hard to reach that you you couldn't physically drive a skid steer into. That's where the excavator comes into play. Okay. So um, we we have done quite a few jobs that um, you know we wouldn't have been able to have done without an excavator. So combined with the two, there's really not much that we can't handle. Um, Plus, and, and we're we're not above you know good old manual labor with chainsaws or sure. whatever we have to do. So yeah, I, um, you were giving me grief about my I don't want to call it a a mini chainsaw because you know to me it's a, <laughs> but you you 
you dissed my chainsaw. <laughs> well, I also fixed it for you. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I broke the I, – I had these dreams of going and using a chainsaw, and I cranked it the first time, and, and the rope broke. Yeah. And you fixed it. But but he did – he did – he kind of dissed my chainsaw when you pulled out – what was that, a 16- or 18-inch bar chainsaw? Uh, 24. 24-inch 24 yeah. bar chainsaw, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a tool for every job. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I would be in so much trouble with the 24 inch bar chainsaw. It wouldn't be funny. That's right. And but now you, with your background, you know how to do all that stuff. And I, I like didn't, you with a drip torch. No, I didn't. Kinda, I didn't mess up too bad with the drip torch. No. No, but I feel like if you had one and you just kind of. Like oh yeah, I would it, be burning you, things all yeah, over the place. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. Uh, <laughs> talk about okay. So I know, I know. In the progression of this, you've gotten bigger machines, and you've gotten better grinding heads. Sure. And mm-hmm. when you were in Chester, I remember the first one you had, it seemed like it didn't have very many teeth on it. But now the one you had when you came over had a lot of teeth, and you had some special teeth on it. Talk a minute about those teeth. It has a lot of teeth. <clears throat> well, we we um, we um elected to go with a knife machine. Okay. It uses actually sharp steel teeth instead of the carbides that a lot of guys elect to use. But the knife machines, it in the process of mulching, it'll leave a finer product on the ground. Uh, won't leave as big um, chips laying around, and it makes the job go quicker. The only downside to that is that we do have to stop um, at the end of the day or maybe even twice a day and sharpen them up. But um, it, it does. It gives a better look. It gives a more manicured look when when the finished product's on the ground. So, um, yeah, we use knife machines and um, just, you know, for that reason, just for the look and satisfaction of the customer, you know, for, for the look they want when we're finished. And and you kind of mow everything down going forward, and then mulch yeah, it coming yeah, back. How's that? It, it, I, it, it's a, there's a science to it. I mean, um, you know, with with standing vegetation, trees, and and whatnot, um, the forward motion actually gets it on the ground, okay. gets it off the stump, and gets it on the ground. Um, then you put it in reverse, and and you go backwards. <laughs> uh, the the backwards motion is basically where the the mulching actually takes place. So, you know, when you go forward, that's half the job. You back up, that's the other half. There so, you go. But um, the, the yeah, the but the the backing up is is where the is where the finished product comes from. So, yeah, it's not like driving a lawnmower. Yeah, you know, across, across grass, it's it takes more motion than just driving across grass. But um, the finished product, I mean, it it looks good whether you, it does. You know, we're going forward or backwards yeah. or sideways. Um, you know we. We we talked a little bit, just touched on it. The advantages over some of your traditional land clearing, you know, where you get a bulldozer and you're right. and you're moving your topsoil and you're moving your stumps and stuff like that. So, take just a minute because uh, we got about two and a half minutes left. I know Taylor's okay. got another question for you. So take a minute and talk about the advantages over some of your traditional land clearing. Benefits of forestry mulching over over conventional land clearing, like with bulldozers or a track hose or whatnot. You know, if you need your, your land cleared, all the vegetation off, trees off, uh, forestry mulching is the better alternative for several reasons, actually. Um, one is we, we go right up to the water's edge. Okay. You know, well, no silt fences, no permits. Um, you basically just go in and work. And it's environmentally friendly. And I know. Um, How so? You know, lo- <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's environmentally friendly because we actually, actually we're returning the mulch right back to the soil. Okay. We're not leaving the ground unprotected. Okay, when we're done, it it leaves uh you know a layer of mulch 
um, natural yeah. on the ground, and, and it prevents erosion. Um, just a, a lot of benefits. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's more cost effective okay. than, uh, than traditional methods. Cause, you know, with, with, uh, uh, conventional methods, once you, once you get the stuff out of the ground, you've got a pile, you have to dispose of it. So sure. it either has to be hauled off, burned, or, you know, ground with a tub grinder yeah. or whatever. Which there is, there, there is, um, projects that do require that kind of the grading okay. and uh, clearing, but forest mulching it it goes quicker. It's, it's less costly by far. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and you can you can get in there and and do those things that uh, your your county or your government, wherever you may be, may not let you do without permits or a lot of red tape. But, sure. Yeah, um, I noticed that one of the areas we did was a slope, and you know one of the things I hate are, are washes. Erosion, and right. I don't think I'm gonna have to worry about that. I got a nice layer of chips, and man, you yep. ran over, you ran over a couple pieces of pine lighter that man, hmm, yeah, that was nice. It was some good smelling stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, when you chew cedar, the whole forest oh, smells gosh. like cedar. Oh gosh, yeah, it smells really Ooh, good. Smells really good. Got about a minute left. Uh, Taylor, you want to ask him about how to get a hold of him and, yes. and the process? So, it got, like I said, you got about a minute. Milton, take us through the process okay. of, of people getting a hold of you and what you do to get the job done. Okay, you can find us, uh, Google us, you know, NewSouthLandWorks.com. That's LandWorks with an X. Um, NewSouthLandWorks.com. You can contact us right through there. If you're on Facebook, it's uh, New South Landworks. Okay. On Facebook. Um, those are the two easiest ways to get a hold of us. Our phone number is right on there. Um, our number is 864-293-6578. And you can call any time you like. And the process is call us, um, tell us basically just briefly about your project. Okay. We will set an appointment with you and come out and look at your project and make recommendations, give you a free estimate, um, you know, what, what, whatever you would like for us to do. But we're there, uh, we're there for you. So there just you call go. us. We'll come out and take a look Well, and uh, go from there. Cool. Well, I appreciate you coming to that and doing the work for me, folks. If you need, think you might need these services, you got all the information. Milton, appreciate you taking a few times me on the show, and uh, we'll catch up with you here later on during deer season. We got some stuff to talk about. There y'all. you go. Thank you, thank you, Roger and <laughs> yep. Taylor. Thank you. Y'all hang on. Back with more woods and water south after the break. Happen to hear some some dog noises in the back. Oh, it sounds like a pig. Yeah, it pig like a grunting pig. in the background. Sophie has decided to join us, and she's she's, she's having a good a good roll an yeah. inch roll on the floor here, oh, and she, she sneezed. Yeah. So anyway, y'all just bear with us. <laughs> we do have a dog in the house, and I, Michael, it seemed like last time we talked, we had some dogs in your house too. There's a probably good chance of that. Yeah. So, yeah. That time I would have had a puppy around the house making all kind of noise. There you go. That's right. I remember that. Well, uh, yeah. well, I've kind of blown it, but we, we've, we've, uh, we had some big news in the, in the quail arena. And I want to have, uh, Michael on and our, our, um, schedule's kind of lined up, but he is, uh, small game program leader with SCDNR and Michael, you're one of only two people that come with their own buffer music, so hang on just a second. 
<laughs> Love it. Love it, yes. Bring back the whistle is what we're all about. And i got to tell you, Saturday morning I was on the tractor doing just a little perimeter bush hogging around a patch of brown top that I had secondary sowing, a brown top to have a later crop. And I right. had a covey of about 15 birds get up out of the middle of it, fly between me and the sun, and it was just beautiful. Oh, I couldn't imagine. Just beautiful. Gives me goosebumps hearing it. <laughs> well, Taylor, you had you you had a, a question for Michael leading off, so you go ahead and start out. Yeah. So I heard y'all did a whistle survey this, like when was it? Summer. Yeah, spring, it was like summer. summer. Yeah. How did that go? It it went really well. Um, so we've been doing these whistle counts since 1979. Um, we've got it's. Usually around 75 or so routes that are run each year, and the biologist will go out, drive a six-mile route, listen for the the males whistling, and it peaked at the beginning of the 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 80s. It was it was 82 or 83 or somewhere. It was our highest count, so it's been a steady decline ever since. Um, and it looks like it sort of bottomed out in maybe 2015 or so. Uh, and, and I'm happy to report this year we heard 403 males whistling on our our routes on 63 wow. routes this year, and that's the highest we've heard since 2012. So wow. in nearly a decade, it's the most birds we've heard. So yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty excited about that, and it's been a, a trend over the last couple of years that it's incrementally been going up. You know, just a few percentage every year. So. Very good. And y'all were helping. Y'all were asking for volunteers to help out with those surveys, weren't y'all? Well, yes. Yep. Absolutely. Um, we do a citizen science type um, project where we're asking folks to to listen for the the quail whistle. And there's a. It's not really an app. It's a website that you can go to. Enter it in. Enter your information. All that good stuff. And and we're sort of just keeping track of of birds all across the state that way instead of just on these these routes. So, yeah. Ooh, that was me. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I, so, uh, go ahead. Uh, overall, we've had good participation in the bobwhite one. Uh, we also do one for rough grouse, which, you know, it's not as many people up in the mountains, and there's not near as many rough grouse to be making uh, noises are long up there, but but yeah, it's been good participation in the bobwhites, and it's fun to hear. Um, yeah. You know those reports come in. Yeah, because they're people. They're from excited people like me. <laughs> exactly, one hundred percent, like little kids. Uh, uh, big news out of the uh, the like I said the the National Bob White Conservation Initiative uh, moving their headquarters to Clemson University. Yeah, that was a, a big get for the state of South Carolina. Um, so the National uh, Bob White Conservation Initiative is sort of what all of us Bob White states, and there's 25 of us, right. operate under. So a lot of our work here in South Carolina with the South Carolina Bob White Initiative is linked to that National Conservation Initiative. There, It's an umbrella type effect. You know, they're, they're doing the heavy lifting up in Washington and and creating these policies and all this good stuff and, and doing heavy lifting with research and all that fun stuff. And, and then they just sort of left it to the states to, to figure out how to implement it. But so they have to have a home somewhere. Yep. And originally 
this whole concept started right here in South Carolina back in 1995 with one of my predecessors that was sitting in the small game seat at that time, Mr. Brett Carmichael. Um, that whole concept was started, like I say, right at the Web Center. Center. The, the Southeastern Quail Study Group got together and said, hey, there's something going on with Bob Whites. We need to do something. And lo and behold, you know, 20-whatever years later, well, no, 28 years later, yeah. they're coming back home to South Carolina. Wow. Pretty cool. Now, uh, when you say they're coming home to South Carolina, it, are we going to have a, a big you know, a big bunch of offices down at Clemson, or, or how's, how's that gonna, how's it gonna work? Well, the national staff is, is not big by any means. There's, okay. there's only six or seven, um, folks that work for the NBCI, um, and the science coordinator will certainly be housed there at Clemson. Um, some of the other staff are, are most likely transitioning there. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're, you know, for all intents and purposes, NBCI is working right out of Clemson, and it's it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, obviously the DNR and Clemson work together on a lot of research. Oh yeah, and work together across the state, and we've been good partners for for decades. Um, and and so it's exciting for me to join both the Clemson world and the NBCI world that I work in separately now as one. And like I say, it's just it's cool. So I'm excited <laughs> about it. Now, what will and, and we talked before we came on the air. You said Clemson would be helping them out a lot. Um, specifically, how does Clemson, or how are they planning to help out NBCI here? Obviously, Clemson's got a lot of resources. Um, you know, they've got a tremendous outreach staff. They, you know, they can help push our message out. Um, let folks know, hey, this is why quail are doing poorly. Sure. Um, they've got a tremendous GIS resource available and you know so much of our studies are based off of gis these days um you know it's in field research going in and modeling and on computers that's that's clemson's wheelhouse you know um obviously the academics um and and i'm hoping with the mbci being there students will go wait a minute there's you can go out and study quail and make this a career and hopefully we'll start seeing a little more quail research coming out um, maybe some some bio future biologists coming out yeah. to replace some of us. Sure. Um, you know, so I think that all of those are benefits. Um, then even some of the Clemson students now, you know, we've got our quail focal areas in twenty. I forgot how many states have the twenty five have these quail focal areas. Right. They require a lot of monitoring. Um, there's this one special monitoring. It's called the Coordinated Implementation Plan, and it's a big focal area, lots of monitoring. A lot of the states need help doing that, and so Clemson's got a lot of students that yeah. might get free help labor. out with that. <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah. Well, I guess what they are to say is free, but, <laughs> but they've got the staff to do it and sure. the students to do it. So, And it'd be a good experience for them. So, Absolutely. You know, we'll, we'll see where this goes, but that's okay. you know, I'm excited about it. Got a, got a couple minutes left. Taylor, you got another question for him about yeah, so talking about dirt. yeah, my favorite thing, our favorite the, thing, pretty much, dirt. Um, quail management. So a lot of people think that it's a lot more complex than it actually is. Sometimes it can come down to just some wintertime disking. But there's a couple different things that they, that y'all need to know about wintertime disking. Would you like to take a couple minutes and just explain that? Sure. So winter disking is is one of the best practices you can use on your property. 
to help manage for quail. I've joked at every presentation I've ever given that if I could do one thing for, for quail management in South Carolina is that is to get the governor to ban bush hogs <laughs> and force people to use winter, di- or winter disc and to manage their, their fields. Um, you know, I, you can achieve the same thing with a disc that you can with a bush hog. You just have to manage your timing. Okay. Um, so, yeah, when, when we talk about winter discing, we're just literally talking about hooking up your disc, going out on the back 40, and discing whatever it is you want to set back. You know, so quail are that scrub, shrub habitat. Yep. They they like those weedy, nasty areas. Well, you want to keep it looking like that. Well, how do you do it? You have to disturb it. Um, some folks can use fire. And like me living sort of in an urban area, I can't readily use fire. I have to wait on really specific days that I can burn, but I can go out and disc any day. Sure, yeah. And so, you know, what you're looking to do is just go out, disturb all those weeds just a little bit. I mean, it doesn't have to be pretty like you're going to plant something. It doesn't have to be bare ground. Okay. I usually go over it once or twice, maybe three times, to get a third to a half of that plant just incorporated back in the soil. I mean, when you get done with it, you go, man, that looks terrible. <laughs> but, but it's 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 good for the habitat, like I say. So what happens with those native warm season grasses and all, they'll eventually get too thick for even quail to walk through. And so you need that bare ground. You need that disturbance. It also um, will promote some of those beneficial weeds that we're looking for, beggar weed, um, partridge pea, ragweed, that type of stuff. Okay. And it discourages you know, your fescue. your fescue, <laughs> Bermuda, um, some of those farm weeds, like coffee weed and all yeah. that you see. Um, and that that sort of does bring up a good point. You can only winter disc. Don't try to disc in the summertime. Hang on. When you disc in the summertime. Let, let's, let's just do this again. Hang on, Michael. We're going to carry you over through the break. Y'all hang on back. More Woods and Water on South on the other side of the break. Don't even say it. Just keep that thought to yourself. Okay. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm, all, I'm, I'm not saying anything. Uh-uh. Okay. All right. I'm not. You need your music. <laughs> well, I, I hated to cut Michael off because he was on a roll there, and, and he he and I tend to do that when we talk. We get on a roll, <laughs> and Taylor's bouncing off the wall over here going, time, 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 time. <laughs> and it kind of caught us up. And I, I hated to cut you off, but you were we were talking about wintertime discing, Michael. And yep. and and then you said something about don't summertime disc. Yes. Continue so on with you, that. If you disc in the summertime, you're gonna get all kind of stuff that you do not want. Coffee weed, just a lot of the annual farm weeds, that type of stuff. Um, if you if you're gonna disc, you want to do it between November and middle of February, and that's that's it. Okay. So that's the time frame you're shooting for. You know, you mentioned the last segment about if you could get uh, the governor to outlaw bush hogs. And you have a really cool video that you did <laughs> that looks like you're getting set to do something really important, and you just back the bush hog up in the shed, close the door, and <laughs> and, and it's kind of really anticlimactic, but it's a really it's got a really good message to it. It's so simple. I, Folks just they they feel the need to just mow that that nasty weedy looking field and and they don't need to. It's a lot of birds, quail included, birds, butterflies, 
rabbits, you know, it, it's it's all kind of things that use that nasty area, and you know, it's it's sadly it's mowed over time and time again every year. So, well, let me it's ask just, you this: a guy like me, you know, got some got some pasture. I'm gradually converting most of the old fescue off into well, a lot of it's now in just annual plantings. You know, I do a springtime you know brown top i do wanamaker's dnr quail mix which y'all helped him do which i love i love that it, quail mix it's a good mix oh it's man mix. it's a great mix um and, and corn and then i'll come back in the like this time of the year and i'll plow out some of those plants i'll put some oats in and and some some you know some wintertime stuff for my deer but in the springtime that benefits quail because it gives them those bugging areas and and a and a that especially the oats gives them a ready-made, you know, food source, especially for That's the adults right. and all. But so when do if somebody's got, you know, a place that he's just got a bush hog to keep the sweet gums down or whatever else or the broom straw or whatever, when does he need to bush hog? You'd want to try to do if you've got the bush hog, you want to do it outside of their nesting season, um, and the the peak of their nesting season's you know July. Okay. Um, so, outside of that, I would say you do not want to do it in the wintertime. All right. Uh, I would probably say you don't want to do it between September and February because you're taking away their habitat sure. at the time yep. they need it the most. Yeah. So, those are the two times I would not do it. So, like me, I do it in August. Mm. I have a little bit of – I have a place that I've got to keep mode, you know, like I said, to keep – not only the sweet guns, but dadgum, the crows are seeding mm. pecan trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All, I mean, I, I got almost as much pecan tree intrusion as I do sweet gum sometimes. Um, yep. So I do. I keep that to August and uh, and just make sure that I have a lot of cover elsewhere for those birds to kind of go. And that's it. If you create a bunch of patchy cover here and there everywhere, it it lends that it lends itself to be able to do something that you need to do on another piece of that patchy stuff. So. Okay. Yeah, those poster stamps are the way to go. Okay, cool. Well, Michael, I appreciate it as always. We'll uh, we'll let you go on about your business. I appreciate you working us in on such short notice. Folks, if you want to get more information, you can go to NBCI website. Uh, a lot of information there. Michael, how do people get involved? I mean, if, if you've got somebody that's got, you know, I know, I know, these focal areas, you like to have a lot of land and all. I don't. But if you've got somebody that's got a small patch of ground that, that they can manipulate and help. Where do they go to get some some information and some help to do to find out what they need to do? They can contact me to get some you know technical assistance on how to do it. Okay. There's there's certainly and we can point you in the direction of financial assistance through the Farm Bill programs. We've got Farm Bill biologists across the state. Um, some of them work out of DNR offices. Some of them work out of Quail Forever offices. We've got a quail forever biologist in the state, uh, Jake McLean and Newberry. Um, and then, you know, we've got, actually, we've got three, um, quail forever chapters in South Carolina. And usually if you contact one of those, they can put you in the right sure. position too to contact somebody. So you got any more, you got a lot of options to, to find somebody that can help you with quail. And you mentioned Newberry and I hate to drag this out. Do we still have the mobile, uh, control burn? We do, we do, and we are getting to that time of the year where you need to start thinking about it. So go ahead and get your fire breaks in now, and then this winter, go rent that um, 
trailer, the prescribed fire trailer. It's got everything you need in there to to put on a prescribed fire. So, yeah, it's <laughs> great. a great resource. Absolutely. Well, man, thank you very much. I appreciate your time and your input, and uh look forward to catching up with you sooner rather than later. Sounds like a plan. Thank you. Later. Yep. Always appreciate Michael Hook uh, making time for us to talk, and uh, we always have a good time talking to him. We held him over a little bit into this segment, and I uh, hope we didn't mess up his day too much. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, get involved, Quail. It's, it's, it's fun. It has been my entire life. Lucky. And I'll take you quail hunting somewhere. Yeah. Lucky. Maybe, maybe one of these days, or maybe you can do that after you've gainfully employed somewhere. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> You're welcome. I appreciate it. Uh, got a few minutes left to the segment. What have you got? I'm going to switch gears from the field to the coast and talk about shellfish season, which is opening October 1st through May 15th. Um, for Charleston County, y'all's season is going to open one half hour before sunrise on Friday. October 1st and will remain open unless there is a major hurricane or some kind of event. You get a lot of freshwater intrusion. They tend to shut it down because those beds are, well, oysters are filters. Mm -hmm. So if you get a lot of runoff and stuff like that, you want to let those have time to kind of come down and just get back to filtering the salt water. That's why before you go on any given day, just check the DHEC website because they're going to be the ones that are going to close off those beds. So looking. There's there's some maps available I'm going to get to in a second, but okay. just make sure that you go to the website just to make sure everything is still going on schedule. Um, SCDNR actually manages all the grounds for commercial and recreational harvesting. 20 public shellfish grounds and 13 state shellfish grounds are for recreational gatherings, and then an additional 52 state shellfish grounds are managed for recreational and com- commercial harvests. Um, harvesters should obtain an updated public or state shellfish ground map. So that's going to be, you know, you're going to make sure to specify where you are. If you want to go online and get one to print out, make sure you type in exactly where you are because it could vary from different place and it could vary from different year too. Um, but make sure you find the recreational map web application and those, will, those maps will be available prior to the season. Um, harvesters should also have a saltwater recreational fishing license, which, again, is available on the DNR website. Or it's $15 now. It is? Yeah, it was $10. Well, I was it wasn't $10. <laughs> yeah, but it went up $5 because now we have, that goes directly to the flounder stocking program at Merit that, Okay. So that's $15 now. Okay. Yep. So it's $5 more for a good cause. <laughs> for a great cause. And you can also find it at, you know, your local fishing supply stores. But the limit for recreational harvesting is two U.S. bushels of oysters and one-half bushel of clams. So make sure to go out there, have some fun with it, eat some for me, please. Please. Can I tell you my story? About? First time I ever went oyster picking. Please do. Lighthouse Creek, behind Lighthouse, behind the Morrison Lighthouse. Got in there and... I had my little hammer, and he said, all right, now be careful, knock the dead ones off, and, you know, leave them here, and just take the good blades and all. And I was like, okay, so I'm being very careful and all. And then five minutes into it, I hear somebody go, darn, I broke one. And I'm like, <gasps> don't don't break it. Be very careful, Rod. You don't want to break it because he's up there overset. He's upset over there because he broke one. So, you know, I'm, very, I'm picking, and I'm like, I got like, five or six in my bucket, you know, and here, darn, I 
broke another one. I'm like, oh, it hasn't happened yet. I don't want it to happen. I don't want to break an oyster out here. About the third time he said that, I turned around and looked, and he's eating the oyster. It wasn't that he was upset. He was like, darn, I'm going to have to eat it now. It was January. It was cold, and those oysters were so salty. But I wasn't quite as bad as, like, blackberry picking where you eat more than you pick. Yeah. But I ate a few oysters on the bed that See, day. See, I'd, I'd oh, probably it was, oh, it was very eat good. more than very good. <laughs> uh, we missed this somehow or another, but the, uh, along with oysters, the shrimp baiting season is in, is in uh, September 10th, noon, to November the 9th, noon, 48 quarts whole or 29 quarts headed per day, which is sunrise to sunset per set of poles. Uh, participants must have a shrimp baiting license. License holders while shrimping from a boat may be assisted by a resident who is not required to have a shrimp baiting license. Shrimp held over bait cannot be sold. No more than 10 poles can be used. You have a story about shrimp shrimping in the harbor with <laughs> two poles and uh, me going swimming. We might not have, we probably won't have time to get to that today. Uh, poles must be marked with reflective tape and may not exceed one inch in diameter. Uh, and they got to have the number tag on each one of them that corresponds to your shrimp license. Um, all poles of a license set must be within 100 linear yards of each other, and poles must be, and sets of poles must be at least 25 yards apart. You and your neighbor. Uh, shrimp pots or traps are prohibited. Cast nets used for taking shrimp over bait must have a minimum mesh size of a half inch. Uh, individuals who may not obtain a shrimp baiting license are owners or officers of a corporation with own a vessel specified on a trawl license, masters of a vessel special on a trawl license, licensed to use a channel net, licensed to use a cast net for commercial purposes, and licensed as a wholesale seafood dealer. Huh. Interesting. Good show. Yeah, well, we, we don't have time to tell the story about me going swimming in Charleston Harbor at night. Just know, one night. if you ever wonder if a five-year-old's <laughs> eyes can get as big as saucers, they do. They do. Here we go. All right. Finish out the show. Uh-oh, which I forgot to start, start the music, but we'll start it now and... <laughs> <laughs> It'll be there. Uh, um, like any good dip, there are eight layers to a southern goodbye. You ready? About to leave warning. Hmm. Hey, we got to get going statement. Mm-hmm. Hugs. Mm-hmm. Walking to the driveway. Uh-huh. One more conversation in the driveway. Yep. More hugs. Yep. Talking while everybody's piling in the car. <laughs> yes. And rolling down the window to say bye one more last time <laughs> as you pull out the driveway and somebody yells, watch for deer. <laughs> 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 All right, folks. Thanks for being tuning in today. Hope you had a great day. Hope you got outside and did something on National Hunting and Fishing Day. And, uh, hey, it is our time of the year and the weather is right. Y'all uh, make time to get out there. Take the back roads when you can. And don't forget that camera. See you back here next week. More Woods and Water, South Carolina. <laughs>